0: Well, hello, faithful listeners, and welcome to season three of the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. Once again, I am your host, Edwin Adams, and season three is going to be unlike anything you've experienced before. You know, I've listened to really hundreds of comments from, from you on what you wanted your podcast experience to be like And, you know, for season one and season two and for many of the podcasts out there, it wasn't enough just to hear great stories about incredible transformations. You wanted a little bit more. If have you ever listened to a podcast episode and wished you had taken notes, right? Or you wish you had a a synopsis of the podcast that you could keep in your journal or or put on your mirror or, or have on your whiteboard, right? Or have you ever wanted something to download from the podcast that would remind you of the content that you just experienced? And thought was really valuable and influential and that maybe you could put into action in your own life, but you just couldn't remember what it was and you didn't want to have to go listen to the episode all over again or I know some of you have even played the episode at twice the speed to try to find that nugget of information that you wish you could just search for and get that that two minutes of information that was most valuable out of the whole show. Well, I've heard you all in expressing exactly these challenges in listening to podcasts. So starting in season three, I'm inviting you to join the Aesthetics of Leadership membership community. Inside this community, you're going to get not only the audio versions of each episode, but you'll also have access to the videos. And what's so magical about the video versions of the podcast is, you can search each episode by keyword. So if I said something that resonated with you and it was related to, you know, cooking strategies, for instance, as a as a silly topic or a silly example, all you have to do is search for inside the membership community those two keywords and that portion of that specific episode will will be presented to you and you you can only listen to that that particular part if you want instead of having to you know trudge through the entire episode you can get to exactly the content you want searchable by keywords spoken out of my or my guests mouths it's that simple so that's just a a magical addition to really key in to to the specific topics that you want to hear out of the entire podcast library so yeah not just new episodes but every episode i've ever recorded on the aesthetics of leadership podcast You can keyword search the entire library and get the best from multiple episodes. So I'm excited to release the power of searchy.io that is supporting my new platform of the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. So that's that's just one added benefit of being part of the membership community. Speaking of trying to remember what you heard in the podcast that was so influential, With each episode, I'm gonna have a downloadable executive summary of the key points of the podcast. So you'll have quick reference, you can print it out, you can save it to your hard drive, you can snap a photo as an image to keep on your phone at all times, that gives you the key points from each episode. And as a third critical value, um, I'm going to be releasing new episodes every other week for the podcast. I think that is a, a reasonable rate of content exposure, right? And, and most of you seem to like that cadence of every two weeks. Well, there was those other two weeks in the month that I wondered, well, how can I add more value to this community? So what you'll get inside the membership community is two extra video podcasts with me giving commentary and teachings on the content that we just covered with a special guest on the show so searchable content downloadable executive summary and my takeaways and teachings on on the topics presented in the interview are are going to add more value with your podcasting experience so you'll be able to get two episodes every month from every podcast outlet where the show is so apple podcast spotify you name it you're going to get two great interviews with exceptional leaders and transformers out in the world today Inside the membership community, you're not only going to get those two audio formats, but you'll get those two searchable video formats and the executive summary and two extra teachings from me from those two podcast episodes that month. Uh, I'm going to bring in my experiences and teachings from the John Maxwell team, executive leadership coaching Um, brain health and neuroscience from Dr. Joseph McClendon and Dr. Daniel Amen and brain health and brain fit, all kinds of value I'm going to add in those extra teachings. So like I said, season three is going to be like nothing you've experienced before in the podcast arena, and I'm excited to launch it with this first episode with my friend, that I've had on the show before, and I know you got massive benefit from No Excuse Charlie, as he's known by. So let's get on to season three with my guest, Charlie Donalsich. And when you're ready, head over to AestheticsOfLeadership.com and join the community so you get those added benefits of exceptional podcast stories, from exceptional podcast guests starting today so join the community let's grow together let's create transformational cultures based on leadership values quality and good storytelling join me won't you let's go you know that's so amazing that you you started our conversation that way because I I think that is what I wanted to focus on in season three of the show Charlie was this um this transition I think we're all finding ourselves in now we've been through several I guess through through the pandemic and you have this very unique perspective in watching kids in transition um through a, a tumultuous time, and now I feel like there's this pent up energy on what do we do now? And I yeah. think that's the biggest question I'm hearing from people is, all right, what what do we do with technology? What do we do with next year's classes? What do we do? You know, the list goes on. What do I do with my health and fitness? What do I do to protect myself from from being in this situation again, mentally and physically? So, um, is that a is that a fair place for us to have a conversation about?
1: Yeah, I think that the first thing, actually, that was one of my initial thoughts is when the pandemic hit and we were quarantined and everything was all out of control. My initial thought or my initial reaction was one of like optimism. Truthfully, I just thought that this would be almost like a paradigm shift for people, right? Like you think, okay, there's so many things that people are going to be self-aware of now that they probably weren't prior. So one thing you could look at is nutrition. Another thing you could look at is exercise, Um, And just just overall health and wellness, I thought people would start making strides or at least making effort to stride in the right direction with those things. Um, I know a lot of people personally that when the pandemic hit, not only was there a little bit of a sense of urgency that kind of like engendered in them, but also uh, they didn't have time to like a lot of them weren't working or they didn't have time to do or they had the time to do other things, but they couldn't do those other things. So then they shifted it and they started exercising more. Um, I know a lot of people who had some pretty significant weight loss uh, in a good way during the pandemic. So I thought, you know, the entire society is going to undergo this like paradigm shift, so to speak, where we're going to start to focus on health and wellness and nutrition um, and holistic well-being. But then I saw that as time went on, like the initial fear factor started to kind of wear off a little bit. And suddenly people kind of like regressed and reverted right back to their own ways slowly, but surely it was like there was like this, this linear progression where it was all downhill and they started, you know, initially everybody was, was worried and, and conscientious about their health. And then just as time went on, that initial shock value kind of decreased. So people started to kind of revert back, which was upsetting for me. Cause I thought that this was like a good time for people to focus on that and make it a permanent thing. Because from my understanding, it seems like these things really aren't going away,
0: but mm-hmm. Well, you know, well Charlie, if, go if, if we put that in the context of New Year's resolutions, we've seen this pattern before in humans.
1: Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm.
0: So so yeah. I guess I'm not surprised listening to, to you tell that story that people would at some point regress because they either, and this is just just my opinion, and I love your your commentary on this, people either did not have the knowledge they needed to move forward. They didn't know mm-hmm. what they didn't know. Um, Or they did know, but didn't know how to go. So they had no one leading them. So therefore they have no choice but to fall back into the only context they know, which is past experiences, right? So uh, I'm curious what you feel um, allowed people to regress back into old patterns and perhaps what could they have done to do something different and get a different outcome?
1: I think that the regression is predicated almost entirely on like, like I alluded to earlier, that the lack of fear factor, because I think that ultimately, and this is only speaking on my personality, but I think fear is a really good motivator. Like I'm someone who for whatever reason, whether it's nature or nurture, I feel like I've been pretty much always like intrinsically concerned with my health. So, and, and that could be very well, a product of like my parents raising me like that, but regardless, that's something that's always been instilled in me. So like, I've always had that like fear of if you don't do healthy things, you're going to turn out unhealthy. And if you're unhealthy, then, you know, death is an inevitability for all of us, but it might come a little bit quicker for you if you don't take care of yourself. So that was like very easy for me to stay like fearful and motivated in a sense And I don't want to say fear because it's not like I'm constantly like afraid to like eat junk food or to, to miss workouts or something like that. But I think that for people, it was that initial shock that kind of was like an immediate thing. And I think that you see that in all instances of life, like people who you know fall off a bicycle and they say they're gonna start wearing a helmet because they almost hit their head and they were scared that something could happen. And then slowly as time goes on, they feel more comfortable and they feel more safe and the helmet annoys them. So they say, oh, this is, this is too tedious. I'm gonna get rid of this helmet and then they toss it. So I think that you can see that in a lot of different avenues of life where people just revert back to comfortability because there's no like initial shock like having like those shock waves kind of dissipate as time goes um as far as how they probably could have gone about it differently to kind of maintain that i think just putting everything in context of trying to remind yourself that this isn't going away from again from what the 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 so-called experts say that like pandemics are something that could arise frequently um, regardless of what your stance on it is it's something that you have to deal with and honestly, I don't think a pandemic alone should be the only impetus that's going to like spark you to being healthy. Like, I I, I don't understand. It's kind of like, it's kind of like tragedy. Like, you don't really appreciate something till it's gone. Like, unfortunately, if you like lose a loved one, that kind of like reinvigorates you to spend more time around your family, spend more time around your friends. I don't understand why something catastrophic has to happen in order for people to get that sense of like importance with it. So for whatever reason this this was one of those tragic times that kind of made people think differently and it seems as though people are starting to work away from that And the only thing that i could figure out to rectify it would be just remind yourself or try to remind yourself put yourself in that time or that mentality that like your health matters and bad things can happen all the time not just during a pandemic you know
0: yeah it, i guess it goes back to uh the movie the 300 you know those the the spartans Prepared for battle, right? Mm-hmm. They were always ready. And I think the magnifying glass that I saw, Charlie, or that I was looking through, I guess I should say, really highlighted that we're, we, we are talking about consistency. But I think the magnifying glass showed me just a, um, um, a microscopic view of a macroscopic problem that those people who knew how to use consistency for the betterment, mm-hmm. did so consistently and and came out of the pandemic better than they were. And yeah. then the vast majority of the population consistently fell back into the comfort zone and stayed consistently in that comfort zone. And I would argue became less healthy, both ment- mentally and physically. And I think we're going to deal with the ramifications of you know my wife and i jokingly say that we gained the covid-19 pounds over the pandemic that yeah. we've got some work to do now but we're going to address that in the short term but i think we've got a long term problem uh, around the corner and it can be i think i'd love your perspective on this in kids post traumatic stress disorder lots of families were um a lot of disparities in how families were able to react and recuperate from this. A lot of job losses and in the parents of these kids. Kids have gone through a lot and I'm worried about the the mental and physical ramifications down the road.
1: I think that to be fair, and I don't wanna be dismissive of that at all, but I'll kind of play devil's advocate and go the opposite way with it and tell you that in my experience with working with kids in multitude of settings, right? Like in the gym setting, Um, as a coach, as a teacher, teachers where you create, I don't want to say the strongest bond, but you're with them the longest. Like when I'm training someone, it's an hour and a half. When I'm coaching with them, it's a few hours. When they're in class, they're with me for several hours every single day. Um, The one thing that's kind of a a definitively, you know, measure, not necessarily measurable, but it's palpable. Like you can feel it, you can sense it. Um, And it's pretty consistent around all kids is this, this general sense of resiliency that they have. Because truthfully, you worry about that kind of stuff all the time. Like, at least I do with my kids where it's just constant bombardment of issues, whether it's like broken families or financial issues or health concerns or whatever. You know, they have all these problems that they're undergoing that I, thankfully, was never exposed to as a kid. So I kind of put myself in that context and say, man, would I be able to handle this like I came from a very pristine upbringing. Both my parents live in the same house that we grew up in. Um, They're still married, um, you know, upper middle class or middle class family with everything that I needed, Um, you know, came from a religious and spiritual background. So there was always like love within the household. So I never really was exposed to these things growing up. So I think to myself, like, man, would I be resilient enough to overcome them? But I have a large enough sample size and working with kids and talking with kids and seeing like so many traumatic events that they go through, like parents separated, parents in jail, um, parents dead. You know, I have kids that are, you know, in the elementary school that walk in on their parents who have a needle hanging out of their arm because they overdosed and they were the ones that found them. You know, and there's so many horrific things that like, I, I would like to say normal people, people who have like, you know, customary upbringings don't get exposed to. And it's amazing to me that, like I said, that that sense of resiliency that these kids have, where they're able to, you know, push forward and maintain a a, a pretty, a pretty, uh, you know, jovial disposition for the most part, like they're happy when they come to school, they seem to enjoy it. And now, you know, as well as I do, that sometimes people can hide it. And just because they don't show that they're traumatized doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't. But I feel like for me personally that if there's trauma that's that overbearing, I don't know if I'd really be able to hide it, especially as a child. You know, you would think that there would be cries for helps or warning signs or red flags there, like, and with me as a teacher and with our other teachers and our guidance counselors, you know, I feel like we do a pretty good job of sifting through that and trying to find you know, what kids could be potentially exposed to some pretty traumatic things and, you know, the right questions to ask and when to ask them and what to look for. And you don't really see a whole lot of that. So like, not that you want to be completely dismissive, like I said, over kids having post-traumatic stress because of, because of this pandemic, but I'll say that if there's anybody that can handle it, it's the younger generation. I feel like the older generation who isn't as exposed, um, to some of those traumas those would be the ones that were more more predisposed to having some issues like long-term whether it's mental health or physical health or whatever
0: yeah that's a that's a great point and I guess i my, my other curiosity is do you think that has anything to do with um the kids brains not being fully developed right I mean at, at, from age 25 to 28 on you know, the prefrontal cortex is is probably in charge more in the age group or in, in that range, 20, 25, 28 and above versus at the level that you're talking about. So logic probably doesn't pop into your kids' minds as, as much as it does an adult. And therefore, maybe a more developed brain is more at risk of, of these traumatic um, non-resiliency issues. Maybe I think
1: that it goes back to the old cliche like ignorance is bliss. I think that the kids, and understandably so, they're not um, here. I got to do this. My lights are on a timer in my classroom, so they go (laughs) off occasionally. So I have to wave my arms around for the video to make them turn. We got to get you
0: moving on the podcast a little bit more. (laughs)
1: Um, So I think that uh, with the kids, they don't, understandably so, understand the logistics or the framework behind anything. So they just know when a lot of them, when they get up in the morning, there's breakfast on the table. And if they're not in a financially stable enough place to get breakfast on the table or to have breakfast provided by their parents, they come to school and they get a free breakfast. So they just know I show up here, I get this, this is the result. They're very like routine oriented and regimented in that sense where everything gets provided to them. Like this is potentially a downside of public education, but they're kind of systematically put in play that way to do things when someone says, show up when someone says, and the workforce kind of instills that in us as adults. So I think that they're used to like the rudimentary, just like over and over mundane of, you know, I go to school and I learn, and then I come home and I get to play my games and, you know, I get my food when I want it because it's there at the table or provided school, or I just go in the cupboard. They don't understand the logistics of, you know, this food costs money the money is being earned by my parents. If my parents don't have that income, how are we going to buy as much food or whatever? They don't really take time to like you said, it's logic and critical thinking that they don't really think about just because they're a product of being caught up in the here and now. Like if I'm hungry, I get food and that's that. And then I eat food. I don't have to worry about how the food got there, who bought the food, who worked to make the money to buy the food or whatever. So I think that the definitely has a play with that kind of stuff for sure is there just lack of, overall self-awareness, not only like developmentally in the brain, like you mentioned, but also just a product of lifestyle because that's how kids are. You know, they do what they're told, show up when they're told, eat when they're told, eat what they're told to eat. You know, there's very, very, there's a a substantial lack of free thinking just because that's kind of how they're programmed to be.
0: Yeah. Interesting. You know, I've, I've read in several personal development books that maybe what can help us greatest at adults, as adults, is to learn how to play again to to be childlike to discover to not critically think about everything just to to be present and I appreciate what you said there that maybe there are some lessons I guess for us adults who have been maybe traumatized by the pandemic or having trouble coming out of the pandemic. perhaps there are some lessons from children that we can learn mm-hmm. so Charlie, I'm curious if we've got consistency working on on both ends of the spectrum from a developmental perspective, we've got those like yourself who use consistency as a tool for growth. And then we've got others who are using consistency as as a tool to remain the same and and be comfortable. I, I appreciate the energy that you referred to earlier called resiliency. How do you how do you create or hone resiliency when you, when you don't have it as an adult? Uh, maybe we can have a conversation about that.
1: Um, that's interesting because I kind of need to find that within myself. So that's kind of a question that I've been asking for a long time. Um, I'm one of those people personally like to be showed true transparency here. I'm a very emotional person. And I think sometimes there's connotations that go along with it. Like when people think, what's an emotional person? Like someone who cries a lot, someone, but that's that's not it. I'm a very emotional person, um, but it's usually self-contained, number one. And number two, there's a lot more than just happiness and sadness that go into emotion. Cause people think, oh, if you're an emotional person, you're the really happier you're crying and really sad, where there's like, you know, a scale that's Immeasurable in between of every type of emotion. Like, so part of that being an emotional person, uh, you're very, very passionate and driven. So, like, things that I enjoy doing or things that I have a passion for, I do them 100%. Um, potentially, anger gets thrown in that where I, you know, I could like, fly off the handle. Even though I'd like to think that I have a decent amount of patience, you know, when the patience runs thin, then it's explosion time. And then that happens to all of us. So, I tend to look at my lack of exposure to trauma as a kid and think, you know, how do you build that resiliency, because how do I continue to not overreact, I guess, for lack of a better term, how do I tend to not overreact to circumstance that, number one, isn't in my control, and number two, ultimately, isn't going to be that tumultuous to begin with, like, well, the worst case scenario is never the worst case scenario in things. So, I don't know if I have a definitive answer to that. Something that's helped me. And I don't know if this is a product of me actively seeking it out, or it's just something that happened organically is doing something that causes trauma on a day-to-day life or a day-to-day experience. So like, not I don't want to misuse the word trauma because it's a misnomer in that sense. It's not necessarily traumatic, but something that's going to push you out of your comfort zone because that's going to be baby steps to going outside of your comfort zone by force. If you can do it, by choice, then you may be able to handle it a little bit better when it's not your choice to get out of your comfort zone. So like take bodybuilding, for example, or like strength training or any of the things that I do to push myself. Like, okay, here's, here's a good example. That's fittingly, you know, chronologically appropriate. Just um, a couple of days ago on Sunday, I did my first Spartan race. So it's like a, it's a, it's a obstacle course race with a distance run. Um, so to give you a little context there, I did the sprint, which is, is, hilariously ironic that they call it a sprint because it's still 3.1 miles. It's still a five kilometer, um, run. So it's 3.1 miles and there's 20 obstacles. So I did like the shortest one didn't train for it specifically at all. I mean, other than my strength training and basic athleticism that I like to hope that I hold on to over the years. Um, so aside from that, the only things that I've really done, um, are just, you know, like the bodybuilding thing, that's something that instills some sense of, Uh, resiliency, because it's very, very difficult. So like, you know, the eating on a regimented diet, um, the training, and then when you go into a show prep, like dehydrating yourself and caloric restriction, and doing the cardio, and all that stuff plays like a really, really big role in fostering some semblance of difficulty in my life. So then if I can do that on a day to day, by choice, then I can probably do that on a day to day, if I'm forced to do it, at least I can handle it a little bit better. Like I'm not going to be able to deal. I'm not saying that, you know, because sometimes, and let me kind of revert back. I don't want to be one of those people that over sensationalizes weightlifting because I see that happen all the time. Like guys go into the gym with like this meathead mentality where it's, you know, I'm going to war with the weights and I'm going to push through and overcome and conquer. And really, you know, that analogy that you're using for the weight room is, I understand that you're trying to make it a microcosm for a bigger picture, like. But the overarching, you know, idea here is that I think that me doing difficult things on a day-to-day basis, eating foods that I don't necessarily want to eat, training at times I don't want to train, waking up at three thirty in the morning every morning to go to work, you know, like for example, I wake up at three o'clock even during the summer, which as a teacher is supposed to be your off time with all my training and stuff and and my nutrition consultations and my coaching. I wake up at 3.30 in the morning. I'm out of the house by 4.30 in the morning. And last night I got home at 8.30. So not that I'm trying to put myself on a pedestal because again, let's put it in proper context. You know, I'm working in an air conditioned gym where I get to work with athletes having a ton of fun. And I absolutely love my job. You know, I could be doing manual labor. I could be like working in poverty. Like there are so many terrible things or situations that I could be exposed to as an adult. But regardless, I think that exposing myself to things on a daily basis that are hard kind of can build up a little bit of resiliency. But again, I'm still looking for that answer on how to really, really form resiliency as an adult if you haven't been exposed to it as a kid. It's very, very difficult for me to to put that in proper, proper perspective, I think.
0: Yeah, what great commentary, Charlie. Wow, I really appreciated what you said. And I guess my, my curiosity then goes to is resiliency a transferable currency in your wheel of life? So let's look at health and fitness. You kill it. I mean, you've got the, the consistency, the know-how, uh, the, the growth trajectory. All of that is off the charts, and you've proven that. Does resiliency then move to other areas when you need it on demand, say in your social life? Uh, in your relationships, finances, etc. What would you say there?
1: I think for some people, most people, yeah. Let's look at the outliers first. And you tell me if you agree or not, because you've had the privilege of working with a lot of high-end people. I think that there are outliers where the answer is definitively yes. And I think there's outliers where the answer is definitively no, first of all. So let's get those ones out of the way. I think there's a small group of people that have that like unrelentless, like, or this is that relentless passion and drive to overcome. And it doesn't matter what you throw at them, they're a complete savage and they're gonna get through it no matter what. Even if it's like something small in the grand scheme of things, like training or, you know, being a bodybuilder or being a wrestler or a football player, some type of athlete. Um, and they're gonna get through it, whether it's something little like that or it's something overly traumatic, like they witnessed you know, the death of a friend firsthand and they have to overcome you know, the post-traumatic stress of visually seeing that and dealing with that. Um, so I think there's those people, but then I think there's polarity there where there's people on the opposite end of the spectrum where any little semblance of difficulty or resistance that they meet in life, they're gonna shut down. And I think that's just some type of genetic predisposition one way or the other. And I think, you know, talking in arbitrary terms here, I think that ambiguously, I'd say that's probably what, like 5% of people would fall in either category five here, five there. I think
0: we've got a bell curve.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that the other 90% or thereabouts, I would probably venture to say, yeah, I think there is some transferable, you know, traits, because like, at least for me, I can say with the bodybuilding thing, right, like, that's something that helps me in my day to day life when I'm met with resistance that isn't chosen. If I choose resistance and then I meet resistance, I'm more likely to deal with it having chosen it before. You know, like I think that there's something to be said about doing the hard stuff. Like Matt Jansen, um, who's a bodybuilding coach, a nutritionist that works with some of like the elite level pros. Matt has this saying that he's popularized. I don't know if, you know, he's completely come up with it on his own, but it is do the hard stuff. And that's something that he tags and posts all the time is do the hard stuff because there's something to be said about just doing things that are brutally hard that make you better mentally. So like take the Spartan race that I did the other day, for example, that was physically probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And it may not have direct transference to bodybuilding per se, because it's an endurance sport and it's completely opposite types of training. But I think that it benefited me if nothing else other than being like, okay, that was physically the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. I can do these squats right now. Even though these squats seem difficult, they're nothing like what I did last week. So if I can do that, I can definitely do this. So I definitely think that there is some transferability there um, with a a large percent of the population. Unfortunately or fortunately for me, the only thing that I can continue to go back to is, is the bodybuilding thing. You know, I, I think there's other ways that I've built resiliency by choice. Like, for example, my work schedule might be one. Um, just, just playing sports over the years. I like doing things that are difficult because it's that sense of accomplishment. So I think that maybe there may, there may be a little bit of, of you that can look at a situation and look at it as opportunistic for the feeling of accomplishment. Like, hey if I get through this, I'm going to feel really, really accomplished when I come out of the tunnel at the other side. Like I see the light and the light's really far away, but if I get there, I'm going to feel super accomplished because having gone through this, does that make sense? You know, just looking at it opportunistically.
0: Yeah, it does. And I, 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 I guess when I hear you talk about Um, your experience with the Spartan race, you immediately went back to, um, for lack of a better term, a, a rod of resiliency, an ROR that, well, I've, I've been in the gym. I've been under resistance before. I can, if I can do that, I can do this. You know, you, you had the self awareness enough to establish the context that you've done that before. And therefore you can do this in a different environment, and still be successful. That's where I think we have a breakdown, Charlie, because when I'm working with, um, well, I'll call them C-suite individuals who find themselves at this point in their career or, or this question in their life about, I, I, I've just lost it. Mm. They've lost the connection to the context of what they've done before their own rod of resiliency um, that has, has shown. That can show them the way. And so to give okay. you an example,
1: I got to interrupt you here real quick because I, I want to touch on that. Before yeah. 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 Please. Do you think that that has to do then is that predicated on a lack of frequent exposure is a lack of frequency. Like if I were to do this Spartan race, every single week that I'm going to build up a lot more resilience there because I'm doing it frequently. So my level of comfortability with it gets higher and higher because of continued repeated exposure. It's like kids who go through trauma. You feel like the more trauma they go through and obviously everybody's going to reach a breaking point. So I don't want to kind of sensationalize trauma to make it seem like it's a good thing, but the more kids go through, the more they're going to build up that sense of resiliency. So do you think that people's lack of resiliency in doing difficult things could be predicated on just not doing it often enough. Like they don't go to the well enough to get comfortable with it.
0: I think that could be a component, Charlie. Absolutely, that makes perfect sense to me. And and I see a continued pattern where there is a um, a forgottenness. People have forgotten their wins of of the past that could be rods of resiliency for them, right? So yeah. um, I, I have um, had several clients recently who have been in the fitness space in the past. They've been a professional athlete in the past, and now they find themselves at this transition point in their life where some some felt confidence back then with what they had, and now the environment is different and they have been unable to tap the resource of their experience to find the rod of resiliency. So my my coaching has been a remembrance of that. Take me back to the place in your life when you were that way. And we pull out, you know, those, those key aspects of growth and transition and transformation for them. And then they remember and then they carry it forward on their own storyline, uh, a new storyline so, so it's a. It's not that they haven't done it; it's they've forgotten that they did. And I, to me, that's a self awareness problem that perhaps is lost with, with too much innovation, with all these inputs that we have in the world right now. It we forget to look inside for the answer, and we're looking for it all all out here, Charlie. What would you say?
1: The forest from the trees.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I like that. I think that again to kind of. Revisit what I mentioned earlier. I think that that could probably be at least mitigated to a small degree by continuously exposing yourself to stuff. Because if you do something difficult every day, you're not going to need to look introspectively and think, "Okay, do I have it in me to do this hard stuff?" Because you're going to remember because you're doing it all the time. You know. So for me, like I just use the pandemic as a as an example. Like it was super easy for me to deal with. Believe. I, comparatively to other people. I don't want to say it was easy because it was difficult, but like I was able to put it in proper context based on my day-to-day life. Like it's not going to change that I can't go out to eat because I'm eating on a regimented schedule regardless anyway. So that, that has no, you know, effect on me. Um, with teaching, I was blessed to be in a position where we could teach remotely. So I was still teaching virtually with on, on Zoom meetings and stuff with my kids. So obviously a little bit of a shift there, but still doing my day-to-day. The only thing that I couldn't do was work and train my athletes at the gym and likewise couldn't work out. But I just said, you know, I enjoy the, I don't bodybuild because of bodybuilding in and of itself, like superficially. I bodybuild because I enjoy pushing myself to do difficult things. So what I did then during that time was I took up, I I was running and doing circuit training, um, you know, a little bit of dare I say, distance running to a degree. So I was finding other avenues to push myself because the the, the stimulus or the feeling that I was getting for it was largely the same. So I was one of those people where I was lucky enough just because of repeated exposure to difficult things that that really wasn't an issue for me, the pandemic specifically. Um, I actually was able to, you know, enjoy it and bask in it in a little bit, you know, to spend more time around loved ones and not be so chaotic with my busy schedule that there was a little piece of me that almost welcomed it in a sense and i I just wonder how much of that was based on me continuously exposing myself to difficult things and i don't want to make it sound again i I can't say this enough i don't want to make it sound like i'm trying to over sensationalize or over dramatize bodybuilding or weightlifting to be you know some like venture into the you know into hell that's like so difficult to overcome you know I'm just doing this for fun but I think that being able to bring yourself to push through things mentally kind of can transcend the gym space and go into other avenues of life which I think has helped me deal with some stuff like that
0: yeah such such wisdom there okay so I'm going to change the word instead of rod of resistance I'm going to suggest people remember the resistance every day so we still have the ROR Paradigm. All right, fair enough. So, Charlie, I want to end the conversation uh, because I have used this with clients before, particularly in the athletic space, that if they had to choose three to five laws of the gym that have allowed them to be successful in other areas of life. So, I'm looking for the transition then of that resiliency, for instance but laws of the gym that apply to other areas of life. Do you think in this last part of our conversation that you could pull out 3 to 5 laws of of your bodybuilding athleticism journey that you could easily say okay the law of resistance would be one and yeah. this is how it has served me. I'd love for you to 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 talk about that.
1: I'll I'll preface this answer by saying if I would have known ahead of time that you're going to throw that on me, I could have come up with some, probably some really good ones, but I, no, I these like, are
0: going to be fantastic off the
1: cuff. I, I like the spontaneity of it though. It keeps it interesting. Um, so for in, it, it's kind of difficult to navigate my way through this question first and foremost, because I think that there's the immediate diversion, at least for me to work towards the cliche, but sometimes the cliche is important. So I would think first and foremost, consistency is key. Um, you're not going to be able to hit your nutrition at 100% every single day. There are going to be things that arise. Um, you're not going to be able to hit all your lips and have a 100% workout. Sometimes you have a 90% workout. Sometimes you have an 80% workout. But ultimately, those are really going to result in growth regardless, um, as long as there's consistency there. So I would rather have someone that a one hundred I would rather have somebody that gives eighty percent effort one hundred percent of the time than someone who gives one hundred percent effort eighty percent of the time because I think that with bodybuilding specifically nutrition wise strength training wise it 's all based on consistency so I think that with building up the resiliency or doing things if you want to have this be transferable into other avenues of life, I think that consistency is a really really good lesson that's taught. So I think that would be first and foremost is continuing to do things every single day. So like, what would that look like? And how would it be transferable? So if you're looking at like the business mind, keep going to work every single day, even when it's difficult to give up, because a lot of times you're going to have that revolutionary breakthrough seconds, you know, from when you were at your breaking point or when you were going to give up. So first and foremost, consistency. Um, Secondarily, I would think, to look at things opportunistically as much as possible. So again, it's kind of like the the cliche, you want to look optimistically, right? But I think that if you can look at difficult times as opportunity for overcoming obstacles and understanding that there's going to be betterment at the end of it, I think that that is hugely important. So when I'm like, take strength training, for example, like in the gym, your body, you give the body the stimulus And your body responds to strengthen because of the stimulus you give it. So if I'm doing heavy barbell curls, you know, that's giving my biceps a stimulus that there's a lot of like overbearing weight that they're not used to lifting. So neurologically, your body, you know, being the adaptive organism that it is, looks at that and says, holy crap, that was heavy and tore down some muscle tissue. We got to build back stronger in case we're exposed to that stimulus again. We got to make sure that we handle it. It's just a survival mechanism, biologically speaking, of the body. Um, So I think that if you have that resistance and that, you know, not only is it going to be consistent, but it's going to be difficult. um, I think that that's transferable to life too, is understanding that, You know, the difficult things are probably going to be the best things if you're able to objectively sit back and say, this is going to benefit me. It's hard right now, but I'm going to be stronger because of it. You know, this set of squats really sucks, but I'm going to have bigger legs and a stronger spirit and a stronger mind because of it. You know, my job right now is really, really difficult or this issue that I'm going through with my spouse is going to be really difficult to overcome. And I don't want to look at it as opportunistic, but sometimes I have to, because I understand that I'm going to be better relationship wise. I'm going to be better financially. I'm going to be better, whatever it is, you know, these obstacles that were thrown at us, we're going to be better because of them and overcoming them. Again, I know that's easy to say without being through it, because I I love how people always say, oh, well, you just got to overcome. And you know, think of the positives, it's very easy to think positively when you're not in a negative mind frame, right? Like when you're not the one, it's very easy for me to give Dr. Adams advice when, you know, he's the one going through something and I'm not. I could say, oh, dude, you just got a man up and you'll be okay if you push through this. But then when I'm going through it, suddenly we lose all that objectivity and we're so subjective because our minds are overtaken by whatever we're going through. So it's a lot easier said than done, but I think that would be number two. So number one would be consistency. Number two would be looking at things as opportunistic, looking at difficult situations as things that are gonna be beneficial for you. Like the food I eat that I don't want to eat the weights that I have to lift that I don't want to lift. That's making me better. And that's the reason I'm doing it. So kind of taking that and making it, you know, applicable to other avenues of life would be number two. And then if I would give you a third one and this one is probably more difficult. I think that I've kind of unknowingly ordered these in descending um, or ascending difficulty, so like the first one with consistency is probably pretty easy to at least show up. You know, you're not going to have hundred percent workout, but you got to show up for the workout. And then looking at things as an opportunity is increasingly more difficult than that. And I think that the third and final one that I would say, as far as a gym characteristic or trait that's transferable to other avenues of life that are going to help you, I think this is the most difficult of them all. And that would be to find and it kind of is interlaced. With looking at things optimistically, but enjoy the process of what you're doing and have fun with it. So I never lose sight of what the gym is, even when I'm getting ready for a show. And you know, I'm like super passionate and super driven, and in this this mental state where I like absolutely have to stay focused. And if I let off the gas just a little bit, there's potential for me to get embarrassed on stage, and obviously don't want that. Um, but even when I'm in those frames of mind, I always feel like I still am able to put proper context in what I'm doing. You know, I get to go into a gym and lift weights to make my body look better. And like when people will say to me, like, oh, dude, if you did, if you're a bodybuilder, you can do this. This is easy. And I say, no, 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 this is contextually significantly harder than what I do. I just get on stage and cover myself in po- posing oil and stand in my underwear and flex and look pretty. That's all I got to do. You know, when you look at it superficially and objectively, it's really, really not that difficult in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I, so I like to have fun with it. Like I said, even when I'm in those, those deep dark stages of prep where I'm a couple weeks out from the show, feeling like I'm quite literally going to die, you know, I still like having fun with it. And I think that when you look at life and you start to go through stuff, if you're not having fun with what you're doing, and that could be, you know, a whole nother topic or a whole nother discussion for another day. If you're not having fun with what you're doing and you look at it and say, okay, well, you're able to have fun in the gym because you enjoy that. But with my job, I can't have fun and I, do. well, then you need to find another job. I think that is absolutely what you need to be doing is, is looking elsewhere because you're in a scenario now where if you can't do those three things, if you can't be consistent, you can't look at obstacles as opportunity and you can't um, have fun with what you're doing. If you can't do those three things, then you need to be doing something else because there's no way that you're going to be successful in whatever road you're on. You need to pick a different road because that road's leading nowhere for you, I think. So those the, to review, those would be my things. Be consistent, look at things as opportunistic and have fun and enjoy what you're doing.
0: Incredible, I love that, Charlie. Thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, so Charlie, you have your own podcast venture, um, um, Coffee Conversations. I'm curious, what's going on on the show? How can people find it? And, and I have one final follow-up question for you after we talk about your podcast.
1: Okay. So cool. So a couple different avenues here. Um, first is my original podcast that I started with that I'm still doing is the Chasing Dreams podcast. We talked about that on my last interview, which you're still going to be on that, by the way. I don't think you've gotten out of that one. Um, so the Chasing Dreams podcast was my kind of 4 into podcasting, which I had never done before. Um, just me and a friend, Justin, who's my co-host, who was a former client who has now turned friend And what we do is it's very similar to the theme of your podcast. It's like a three pillar system where we're looking to get, you know, in a Reader's Digest version here, we're looking to get successful people on our show so we can learn from them and kind of find a best fit line connecting the dots between successful people. So if I have a successful athlete, a successful podcaster, a successful doctor, successful trainer a teacher a coach whatever we get all these people from different walks of life and we try to find what commonalities they they have because realistically it's about self-improvement for us as hosts too so we look at these people and say okay what do all these people have in common you know what do all these successful people have that they share because that's the trait that we need to be working towards so that's the chasing dreams podcast um the, the coffee clinicals and coffee with the doc is something that Dr. Ryan, a friend of yours and a friend of mine, who actually, coincidentally enough, introduced us and gave us a, a method of communication. Um, he is my chiropractor. And, you know, we've been doing some some business ventures together that haven't manifested themselves publicly yet because we're slowly in the stages of kind of releasing everything that we're doing. Um, But he and I are actually starting a coffee clinicals podcast, where we're going to release it once a week, he and I are going to sit down. And the way that we're targeting it right now is kind of going to be like open question and answer. So me, you know, as a nutritionist, uh, former athlete, and I'd like to, to some degree, consider myself current athlete, although some athletic traits have kind of diminished as the years have gone. um, And then him, you know, also works with clients as nutrition and a doctor, um, we're kind of fielding people's questions on health, nutrition, exercise, spiritual wellness, holistic being, Um, we're kind of taking those questions and then answering them kind of in a video Q&A type session. So those have not been released yet. Um, We're just kind of like you saw um, with the Instagram post, we're kind of throwing little teasers out there to get people ready for what's coming. Um, But that's kind of a venture that Dr. Ryan and I are going to get ready to embark on to kind of just help people with their lives and kind of give some insight that we've gained over the years on what Health fully encompasses, and what that is to help people live, you know, healthier and more enjoyable lives.
0: How exciting! That is going to be a powerhouse duo of uh, of wisdom, action, challenge. I, I can't wait to see what you guys create with that. I'm, I'm excited for the first episode. You got to get it out soon, man. I'm, sure, I'm
1: hoping that he provides. A lot of knowledge, and if nothing else, I can make some jokes and look good on the video podcast as well. So we both have different things that we are, we're going to offer. So hopefully, my good looks will at least provide some some type of uh, of uh, value to the podcast. There,
0: uh, fantastic, my friend. Well, look, last question for you. I, I I know we've talked a lot about the pandemic coming out of the pandemic. We've talked about laws of uh, of growth that are transferable. We've talked about resiliency. Uh, my last curiosity question for you, Charlie, is how are you going to be growing in the next three to six months as as the world changes and adapts? Um, how are you going to change and adapt over the next three months what 's going to be the resistance that you seek to overcome
1: I think that for me and that's that 's a great question because one of I think that anybody who 's successful one of the reasons you 're successful is because you can be very analytical and self-assessing. So like, likewise for you and myself, like we can look at ourselves and tell you what our flaws are, not just what our strengths are. So I can definitively say that one of my flaws that I have is being stubborn. So within the context of that question, I can at times say, I'm not changing because this is what I believe in and this is how I am. So to give you an example would be school. So I don't, I don't want to get too far off topic because I could go on another rant that will last hours. But with our school, you and I talked about earlier how it was like technologically based. So all of our kids have iPads. Um, we don't have textbooks. It's all digital. And that was hard for me because I didn't grow up like that. You know, my school experience was not as such. Even in college, as I was getting my degree in education, preparing to be a teacher, we didn't really plan for that. You know, so it was something that I was kind of thrust into It was kind of baptism by fire. And I know that there are some teachers that have been teaching for decades that then get these iPads thrown in their lap as part of our curriculum. And they're having a very, very difficult time dealing with it because they've done it this way for 20 or 30 years. Now, all of a sudden, they have to do it this new way as they're close to being retired. And a lot of them are saying, I'm not adapting. And that's one of the characteristics that I've had over the years is difficulty adapting to certain situations just because... What it's based on, to be honest, is I think if I'm self-assessing, it's based on this overabundance of confidence in my willpower. So I think because I am strong-willed and I have the ability to overcome things and, you know, as the name would imply, I don't make excuses with things, I think that I've been hesitant to change in certain scenarios where I probably should have changed and adapted because I think – it doesn't matter how tough this situation is. I'm tougher, so I'm going to just barge through it doing the same thing I've always done. So that's a really, really good question for me is what type of resistances I think that I'm you know, looking forward to overcoming in the next three to six months. And maybe me giving you that little bit of annotation before I answer the question may have answered the question in and of itself. Maybe the thing that I need to overcome resistance-wise is maybe finding better ways to go through obstacles instead of straight through. Because I think that sometimes I look at obstacles head on and because there's, you know, a couple of different ways you can go around something, you can go over it, you can go around it, you can go underneath it or you can go through it. And it seems like more often than not, I always choose the through option. Like I'm going to meet this head on and I'm going to crush it, whatever it is. Maybe something that I can do in the future is step back and look at things a little bit more analytically and say, Hey, you know, maybe I need to work smarter in this situation and not harder. Maybe hard work isn't always the answer because I would be lying if I told you that I wasn't a hypocrite sometimes with that because like with my clients, I have some unbelievably talented and remarkably hardworking athletes that their answer is always through the obstacle, right? I'm always gonna, hard work conquers all, I'm just gonna go through it. And they rely on me to tell them, hey, listen, you can't always go through the obstacle. You know, I've had uh, one of my mentors told me uh, you can't be in combat mode all the time because that was my problem. When I was coaching football, you know, I was constantly in combat mode, just fighting aggression with aggression. Um, Don Brown, who was a former uh, defensive coordinator for Michigan, used to say fight your problems with aggression. And I think that that's kind of where I would meet some issues that I have. So maybe my answer to the question is just that maybe I need to not be. So, fight fire with fire and fight resistance with pushing through it, but maybe find more analytical approaches to going around some of the problems that I have, which would probably save me some mental anguish, probably save me my energy, and probably save me, you know, a little bit more sleep. So that way, maybe then I can in turn take that energy, take that sleep, and take that mental calmness that I have and kind of reinvigorate that or put it back and recycle it into the system to my athletes. So it probably better them as well.
0: Incredible introspection right now. I would say you just put law number two uh, into action in answering that question. So well done, Charlie. That was brilliant.
1: Glad that it made sense because as I was answering the question, that wasn't really how I intended on answering, but I kind of stumbled upon the question organically anyway. So there it is.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season three of the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. Uh, it, it, what a great conversation with Charlie. Wow. So many valuable insights, and I hope you take advantage of all the benefits that you can get from this single episode. Uh, you, you get a, a searchable video format, you get a downloadable executive summary, and next week... We take a deeper dive into these laws of transformation and the power of resiliency and optimism. I hope to see you over in the membership community. Check us out at aestheticsofleadership.com. See you soon.